Hello, everybody out there in football world. It's your boy, Bill Rossetti, hitting you guys back up once again. It's another edition of GG. Glad to have you on board as every week. Joining me, as always, is my co-pilot, Mr. Ian Wharton. Ian, how'd you enjoy the snow this weekend? It was cold and delicious. Um, it was good, though. It was a good, good weekend <laughs> to, to be snowed in. Absolutely. Uh, great, great conference championship games, obviously. Um, prepping for the Senior Bowl, uh, which, although I wasn't able to go this year, uh, still a good weekend to catch up on guys to get to know and uh, kind of get ready for this offseason for scouting. So it's a great weekend. Yeah. By the way, David Blatt, he's gone, but uh, just another showing that the NBA is all about the players, not the coaches. Yep, yep. You never know what's going to happen. And for this week, special edition, it's Senior Bowl week. We decided to pluck someone who's down in Mobile at the moment, having a good old time. I don't know if he's at a bar or something or just chilling by himself, but live from Mobile, our good buddy, Mr. Peter Smith of Draft Breakdown. Pete, welcome to the show, my friend. Good to have you here. Hey, how's it going? Doing well, doing well. How's things down in Mobile? How's the weather? Uh, You know, better than Ohio, but not as good as you'd hope. Yeah, I saw it. they're calling for a little bit of messy weather, a little bit of rain, I guess, down there. Cold and rainy. Yeah, I'd rather cold and rainy than what we had over the weekend, so consider yourself lucky. <laughs> Between Ian and I, I think we ended up with almost uh, three feet of snow total. So, But it's already starting to melt because it's crazy winter, so it's always a good time, but... Enough weather talk. Let's get into football. Uh, I think the first thing we'll talk about, definitely got to touch on the Super Bowl a little bit. It's now set. It's locked and loaded. It's the Denver Broncos taking on the Carolina Panthers. Uh, what an interesting matchup this is going to be. First, well, first, let's talk about the two games um, on Sunday, starting the AFC Denver, holding off a late rally by the Patriots, stuffing them on a two-point conversion try when Bradley Roby picked off Tom Brady. Broncos get the win 20-18 to as the defense just looked outstanding against that Patriots offense. And uh, Pete, I'll start with you. Uh, what was your takeaway? Uh, what were your thoughts on that uh, Broncos win? I was stunned that the Broncos won. Uh, I thought Brady and, and the Patriots were, were operating fast enough that it was going to beat that defense, but uh, between the Patriots' complete inability to run the football and the Broncos being so well up to – so well to pass uh, pass rush, it just didn't work for them. They covered long enough, and, and they obviously beat uh, beat the hell out of Tom Brady. So, I mean, it worked out. I, I, I guess I'm, the big biggest surprise for me was the fact that, that Peyton Manning, sort, some sort of Lazarus chamber from the week before, looked like he uh, – actually could throw a little bit, played way better than I think anyone anticipated. Yeah, I mean, just the way they shut down the running game. You know, Tom Brady's the leading rusher. Uh, when that happens, that's usually a problem. When Mr. Uh, 5540 himself, or whatever he runs nowadays. Uh, although James White did pretty well in the in the uh, passing game, but yeah, overall, because... What was it, about 20 hits they said they got on Brady? Just 23. That's 
it's simply amazing. My goodness. Uh, and then the secondary, just uh, outstanding job on Edelman. I mean, no surprise Gronk got his, um, especially on that two-point play. Like, I thought for sure they were going to get it, you know, just fire one up to Gronk and they were going to tie it up. But now they – Brady couldn't complete it and Denver held on to the win. Uh, Ian, what did you think about that game? Uh, it was – I was like Pete. You know, I – Really expected, even with, what was it, like 30 seconds left or whatever, and that Gronk touchdown, that was just incredible, where he just somehow stays in bounds, get, gets like that just incredible diving, not even really diving, but like a leaping back into playing field, uh, touchdown reception among two or three defenders in the area. Like, as soon as he caught that, I was like, is there any way the Patriots are going to lose this game? Like, it's just so Patriots to, to come back and still win that game, even though they were clearly not the better team uh, throughout the day. They just, they always find a way to win those games. Um, but it was it was a fantastic game, and, and partially because the Patriots lost. I'm just, I'm really tired of the Patriots winning so much. Uh, but... <laughs> Just even just from like a football standpoint, I mean, it was, it was an exciting game. Um, we saw obviously two of the best ten players easily, maybe even two of the best five players, Von Miller and and Rob Gronkowski, just go bananas. Each of them just with a humongous game, and that's really what you want to see as a fan and and as an analyst. You just you want to see great players play amazing football, and we were lucky enough to see that. Um, I'm excited to, to kind of get a little, little bit of a fresh storyline this year on the AFC side uh, with it not being New England and, like, coming back from Spygate and Deflategate and all this other stuff. You don't really have that same narrative this year, um, so that's a little bit refreshing as opposed to the last few years because that's all we would have heard about, you know, them coming back from all that uh, drama and, and all that distraction to overcome it and all those really dumb storylines that you get tired of hearing about. Um, but it was, it was a good game. I think that Denver or New England, either team that would have came in out came out of the AFC, would have been the underdog for sure entering the Super Bowl, um, which kind of just leads us into the NFC side of things. Um, they'll be facing the Carolina Panthers, and really a kind of a shocking game on the NFC bracket with the Panthers and Cardinals. I don't know about you guys, but I sure didn't see forty-nine to fifteen. Not at all. <laughs> anywhere in the in the cards. No. I, yeah, I mean, I really was hoping that this game was going to be a lot closer. Um, and personally, I was actually rooting for Arizona because I'm a big fan of Larry Fitzgerald. We talked about this last week. You know how he just rallies that team, and would have been really nice to see Fitzgerald finally win a Super Bowl because this may have been his best chance to uh, to get that ring. Um, but I think this is just the, you know, kind of the stamp of approval for the Panthers. You know, I feel like I've been the kiss of death now for the Panthers, just completely underestimating them for pretty much the entire season. Um, but, boy, when you look at that defense and you watch how Cam Newton – rallies that offense it, it, it's just amazing and they've become a fun team to watch not just with their play on the field but even their celebrations too you know how excited they get after scores um i, I liked after cam scored 
he didn't just do the dab. He did the countdown with the crowd, the one, two, three, and then the dab. You know, it's just fun to watch them get entertained with the crowd, you know. And I, I know people are starting to hate on the Panthers, and that's just silly, you know. They're out there having fun, and they're 17-1 and one at this point. They, they have a right to celebrate and, you know, feel good about themselves and maybe feel a little bit cocky. And they're definitely deserving right now to, uh, to be the favorites going into the Super Bowl. Pete, what's your takeaway from that game? A lot of uh, bad signs coming to that game for the Cardinals. Uh, You had Bruce Arians basically saying uh, even when they won the the previous week against the the Packers, their offensive line wasn't good enough uh, to run block. Carson Palmer, especially late in that game, looked like he was ready to vomit all over himself. Uh, It was just not, not a lot of good things going to that. Carolina was basically unstoppable at home. And then you had all the weather that that uh, had had sort of hit Carolina that it wasn't going to help the the Cardinals at all. So I, you know it's it, it wasn't a good situation for them. And then that the offensive line and the Panthers and the defensive line uh, they just dominated. In that sense, they're they're so much like the team that went to the Super Bowl with Jake DeLome. Uh They're just really strong up front, can really run the ball. Defensive line doesn't have uh, quite quite the the, the premier uh, defensive tackle uh, group they had uh, the last time, but they, they just control the, the front, and Luke Keekley can just run around and make plays. Thomas Davis uh, can run around, and, you know, hopefully he'll be – he's planning on playing. Obviously, I have the broken arm he had surgery on, so you don't know where he's going to be at. But uh, the big difference is obviously, you know, Jake DeLome's not walking through that door. Instead, they've got, you know, six six foot five, two 250-pound guy who can run – uh, and pass and 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 the defense has to basically uh, be terrified of the whole game because they just don't know what he's going to do. Uh, both past two weeks, you know, they at times they were both the opposing defenses were set up to to just send everything against the run and they throw some play action and Cam Newton made a big play down the field. Uh, you know, to to Philly Brown of all people. Uh, you know, it's not like they have dynamic weapons, but because of what they can do to you up front and just beating you up, it's tough to defend everybody. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how the, the, this plays out. So it sets up a quite an intriguing Super Bowl, I think. Uh, I think the best matchup certainly is going to be that Panthers offense against the Broncos defense. Um, you know what what kind of game plan is Wade Phillips going to come up with in two weeks? to try and I don't even know if you can stop Cam Newton. I think neutralize is maybe a better word. Um, just do what they can to try to slow him down. Uh, that, that's that's going to be a fun match. And then, you know, obviously both defenses are very, very good. And, you know, what can Peyton do against that Panthers defense this, this could be a pretty low-scoring Super Bowl. Uh, I think the defenses are certainly going to really shine in this one. Um, but e- either way, I think this is going to be a, a really fun game to watch. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but uh, c- certainly a fun one coming up for what's going to be a historic Super Bowl. Yeah, I think, I think the one thing that I'm going to be really looking closely at is this is by far the best team that 
the, the Panthers have faced all season, um, depending on where you stand with Arizona, because their strength of schedule throughout the regular season was, like I think, 29th in the NFL. So they really didn't face anybody for a vast majority of the season. All of a sudden, they're going to face the number one defense in the NFL, and it's not even close. Now, the Panthers do have the number two defense, uh, depending on the, the measurements that you're looking at. Um, if you're looking at, like, DVOA, they're, it's not even close, though. And the Broncos have the number one defense in, like, the last 10 years besides the 2013 Seahawks. So this is going to be a huge step up in competition as far as offense versus defense. And you, know, you, kind of, you guys kind of touched on it. The personnel for the Panthers is kind of underrated, I think, from where we all thought it was at the start of the season. But it's still not really where... Um, preferably where you'd have it at to face this type of unit, uh, especially if Chris Harris is going to be a little bit healthier than what he was um, this past week, which we're assuming that it will be a little bit better. Um, it's just a terrific defense that the Broncos have, and, and it's really interesting to see how that team has morphed from the offensive juggernaut that just needs a few you know, key turnovers in a game to, to really dominate to all of a sudden. It's can the offense really stand up to the defense? And it's obviously been that way, you know, most of the year. But um, this is going to be a fantastic game. If you like trench play, if you like defensive front seven play, um, this game is going to be brutal. Uh, the, the team that loses, I really, I'm actually going to feel pretty bad for uh, that next day. They're going to be bumpy. They're going to be bruising. Um, it's going to be a long off season too, because both of these teams have accomplished quite a feat this year. I mean, there were no easy roads to the title game. Uh, in the Super Bowl this year, like maybe in past years, a little bit easier. But um, I think I'm going to lean with the uh, the Panthers in this game. Uh, I'd probably take them, you know, by a couple points, depending on what the spread is. But uh, Pete, what, Pete, what's your thought on this game? Kind of big view, and then kind of coming down into your prediction. This game for me comes down to two big questions: can the can the can the Broncos stop the Panthers' run game? And how are the Broncos going to score points? And I don't know if there's a good answer for either of those. If if the Broncos can come up with a way to stop the run, and you know the Panthers ha- aren't able to score points like they had in the last couple of weeks, their third down defense and their ability to go to nickel is is really a problem, and, and could be a situation where they can cause some turnovers against the Panthers. The problem is if if the Panthers stay on schedule with their offense and they're able to run the ball, whether it's you know, actual running backs or Cam Newton or whatever with their, the front uh, that with Trey Turner and, and Khalil and Remmers, these guys who have just been beating people up. If they keep going with that trend, it's just going to be really difficult for the Broncos to sort of stay in that because on the other side of the ball, uh, that defense, the Broncos offensive line is, you know, is battered. It just, and it's not going to get better over the next couple of weeks. Uh, they, they're still going to have to try to find a way to stop, you know, K1 short. They're going to have to find a st- way to block Star Lodolele and, and they're, you know, the Charles Johnson and, and these edge rushers. So if, you know, if the Broncos can't come up with some way to take up pressure off of Manning, he's going to either be diving on the ground and faking his own death quite a bit, or he's just going to get drilled. And it's going to be a lot like what happened to Tom Brady last week. And I'm not sure, if the Broncos have a real good answer for that, I don't see an obvious matchup where they just win. Uh, the Broncos have a, a number of receivers, but you know the Panthers, the Panthers have enough uh, talent on, in their secondary where they can they can match up and, and at least take something away where they can 
force force Manning into some throws he may not want. So, I mean, I personally, I think this could get ugly. And it's just the, the Panthers have just been on this unstoppable roll lately, and I'm not sure the Broncos are equipped to really – stop it if they do it'll you know it, it could be it would be a low, low scoring game i think that's the the best case scenario for the broncos that you know if they have to have a shootout i don't see how the broncos can win it if they can keep it low then they've got a shot and manning can hopefully do what he did last week which is avoid the big mistake and just lead lead quality drives control the ball uh, get a few touchdowns it's going to they're going to have to force carolina into some mistakes and the way he's been playing uh, Cam Newton has been, you know, avoiding that for the be- better part of the last three months. So it's going to be it's going to take a big effort to to change that. Real quick, too, I, I want to kind of bounce back to the NFC game quick, and then we'll kind of go forward. Uh, I just want to bring up some Ian, something you you asked last week um, that actually turned out to be the to be the case and now we can look back on it how you asked about if Carson Palmer has a bad game is that going to change our opinion of him <laughs> and sure enough what happened oh man <laughs> he was pretty bad in that game it so, is incredible man like the public just went complete 180 on him like there were people proclaiming that he was for sure the MVP of the regular season and how he's like a top three quarterback and it went from that narrative to and and granted now his two playoff games like Pete mentioned were really bad like it was really as disastrous as it probably could have went especially that that game against the Panthers um, there were a lot of people just speculating what they're going to do next year at quarterback and I was just like I don't know how you can go from like one extreme to the other like that like that was just incredible to me. Um, I mean, Palmer really hasn't played in many big games throughout his career, and so that's why I had, I had asked that question. Because um, in those pressure moments, he, you know, the very few that we've seen him in, he hasn't played especially well. So, um, just really interesting how that was kind of a a question that, like you mentioned, it was a question that I had asked, and it really went the the extreme in that direction. Um, what was it like seven turnover plays or turnover worthy plays? Was, I mean, that was one of the worst games from a quarterback in the playoffs that you'll ever see. I mean, that was as bad as Brian Hoyer in the wild card round. Yeah, well, it was four interceptions, I think, and then, you know, a couple two of fumbles. Yeah, a couple yeah. fumbles. Yeah. So, just, I mean, he, he, he should bounce back, you know, you know with, with Bruce Arians still there, he should be all right. He's still have playmakers around them. So, you know, the Cardinals will be back. Yeah, they'll, they they should still be a contender next season, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how they go about this off season now, because it's certainly going to be a long off season for them as well. Um, let's jump over now um, and kind of talk about the Browns a little bit here with Pete, because uh, certainly they've had an interesting off season so far. Uh, one of the big moves, of course, is they land. One of the top, and in the opinion of some people, the top head coaching candidate on the market, and that in uh, Hugh Jackson. So, uh, and then with the front office staff, certainly some interesting moves. You bring in Sashi Brown, you bring in the guy, uh, the name's slipping me at the moment, I'm sorry, but the guy that they brought over uh, from the New York Mets 
to uh, help with their personnel department. So, so far, what's been your take on the Browns offseason and what are you expecting from them, say, in free agency and the draft and things like that? Uh, with Hugh Jackson, you know, was obviously a big hire. Uh, it stunned me. I never thought it was going to happen uh, based on, you know, the way they've been sort of operating. I mean, the, it's simple question of why would any coach want to basically throw their career away in Cleveland the way it's been going? Not only do these not only do guys get fired, they most of them are never heard from again uh, after uh, after coming to Cleveland. It's just been that bad whether it was uh, Randy Lerner or, or since Jimmy Haslam's taken over, he's been abysmal. Even in just four years, he's arguably one of the worst owners in the league, which is, you know, that's, that's takes some doing. Uh, so that was, that was huge. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the last game of the season, you know, Joe Thomas sort of came out with some frustration saying, you know, he wasn't sure if he wanted to come back, you know, basically being honest about, about the situation. He's, you know, nine, nine time all pro or whatever he is, nine time pro bowler and all this. Uh, so he's basically he's sort of earned the right to to be tired of losing, but he's you know he's one of the first people who sort of come out openly saying yeah he loves this hire he's really excited. About so I mean th- there's certainly a lot of and and sort of the, the complex of this being a Browns fan it's how it's quickly uh, turned into giving Hugh Jackson every benefit of the doubt, which is odd considering we haven't won anything uh, in the past 20 something years uh, that, that now they've gotten to this point where every move he makes is great and you shouldn't question him. And there's, there's just certain people who have already gotten to that mindset. Uh, so hopefully that works out. And as far as uh, Sashi Brown uh, is interesting, he's sort of the no nonsense guy common sense lawyer guy uh like the big the big complaint with ray farmer and ultimately why he lost his job is because he wasn't willing to sort of you know hold hold to his guns on anything like he had a plan for the 2014 draft and he sort of bailed on it to make other guys happy so we ended up with uh mike Patton's boy uh justin gilbert who should have been a fourth round pick and is awful uh, and then we ended up with the owner's guy, uh, Johnny Manziel, and, you know, the, with everything that's happened with him, you know, you could argue that Mike Pettin was dead on arrival as soon as they picked Manziel. It's just been that big of a, you know, catastrophe for that. So, I mean, whatever Ray Farmer has done, he all, he's ultimately got lost his job for the 2014 draft. It's, you know, with the amount of talent that's come out of that class and everything already – uh, just how good it looks, and obviously the quarterbacks having success in other places, you know, notably Derek Carr, who we've passed on three times. Uh, you know, it, it obviously makes that that debacle look that much worse. So Tashi Brown is is sort of, and the people I've talked to is sort of that no nonsense guy. He's not afraid to 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 make a call. Uh, players apparently were happy about it because they they liked his dealings with it. A couple guys, I guess. Uh, that uh, we're, we're trying to get out of Cleveland have sort of softened their stance or at least open to seeing what's what's going to happen, and and that that could change some things. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, Paul D. Podesta is going to be interesting from the standpoint of what he wants to do. Now, everybody assumed that uh, that when they hired him, it was going to be you know super analytical approach and everything with that and the draft, and and there's you know every reason to believe that could still happen, but but in Listening to him talk and Sashi Brown talk, so much of the focus is more about 
improving processes rather than how, how to pick players, which is sort of going to be interesting to see how it plays out. They aren't giving you a lot of information to sort of make huge judgments on. Uh, so we'll, I'm curious to see where this thing ultimately goes. Uh, they've sort of hinted, you know, they've hinted at stressing character, which difficult to imagine why considering where that's gone uh, the last two years and uh, some of the other things. I mean, it all sounds very good on paper and you can sort of imagine it working in your head. But given the fact that it is the Browns and the fact they haven't won anything uh, yet or, you know, since 2007, really, there's definitely a this sounds good, but, you know, show me some W's type type thought process that I think people pro- deserve to have and probably should have because, you know, this is this team, as much as this fan base desperately wants a a, a great football team, they should probably be a little more skeptical and, and, and make them prove it a little bit more. I'm glad that you mentioned um, how surprising the Hugh Jackson hire was because shortly after the Browns hired Jackson, I made the comment on Twitter, it's amazing to me, and I'm obviously not quoting it because this is way more than 140 characters, but um, there's something along the lines of like, what year is it where the Miami Dolphins and the Cleveland Browns just walked away with the two hottest names uh, in the head coaching searches? Like, if you would have told me that even just weeks before that happened, because Miami had uh, targeted Adam Gase weeks, you know, I should say months before uh, at the end of the season, and was clearly their number one guy all along. Hugh Jackson, he was my personal number one head coaching candidate. Um, I'm just a huge fan of what he did with Oakland. I'm a huge fan of what he did with Cincinnati. Um, obviously, we don't know until they get their chance again. Um, can't guarantee any guy's going to have success unless if they're you know, the super-duper star uh, head coach. But, I mean, the Jackson hire to me, it's just his presence right away in that first press conference. As soon as he gets into that building, like you mentioned, you're already starting to hear guys – uh, seem a little bit more excited. Their tune has changed a little bit. Um, how much do you think that his staff, uh, let me rephrase that, how impressed are you with the staff that he's built so far? Because that ultimately may really determine his immediate success or struggle. Well, the first thing is is in going along with the, the news that when they hired Hugh Jackson and the fact that it was a surprise is the the fallout in that it honestly seems like when the Browns hired him, it jacked up about four teams and their coaching searches to the point where they all hired these guys and you're sort of wondering why. Uh, so that's that's a weird wrench. It seems, feels like nobody else believed the Browns had a shot at him either. Uh, as far as the staff goes, it's going to be interesting because he's not using a – a super traditional model. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't have an offensive coordinator. Instead, he has a senior offensive con- uh, assistant in uh, Al Saunders, who was his offensive coordinator in Oakland when he was the head coach there. I think he's sort of his consigliere type uh, guy. Uh, he. he uh, I think he's the, his sort of tr- really trusted ally in this. He's also going to coach receivers. I think that was a good hire, though. The receiver part of it's a little interesting. Uh, and then they're going with a uh, passing game and running game coordinator. And I really like Kirby Wilson, who they got from the Vikings. Uh, he's had a ton of success 
he has a couple Super Bowl rings. Wherever he's gone, he's you know been able to get running backs uh, to produce. And then you know you know there's no real super big accomplishment with 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 Adrian Peterson producing in Minnesota. But but the guy I'd point to is actually Jarek McKinnon. Who is who's developed into a nice little weapon for them uh, as as that second option and, and at times during the playoffs, uh, the offense actually looked better with McKinnon in there than it did with uh, Peterson. Uh, they have Pep Hamilton as the passing game quarterback. I'm a little um, skeptical of that one. You know the the whole indie thing is a little bit of a mixed bag. It's weird that they brought in Peyton or uh, Andrew Luck's offensive coordinator for Stanford and the offense that Stanford runs that big power, tight splits, beat up opponent type offense, and then he gets to Indy and they don't give him any offensive linemen. Uh, that was bizarre. Uh, but at the, at the same time, he obviously got run out run out of town. Uh, players didn't like his play calling and some of that stuff. So that's going to be interesting. Obviously, he's not in a play-calling role, but uh, it should be sort of interesting to see where he goes. He's also going to be coaching quarterbacks, and presumably, you know, the Browns are in the market for for a quarterback, uh, whether it's somewhere in the first round, if it's you know that second pick or the quote quote extra first round pick that's 32. We'll see how they ultimately go with that. The defensively, they got. Uh, they got Ray Horton, who was actually here three years ago, and, and we're still actually the Browns are still actually paying him from the last time, uh, so he might as well coach here. He's he actually produced a pretty good defense, but he just rubs me the wrong way in that he's so super arrogant. But at the same time, he does have a pretty good de- you know he does get some good results. The other thing that I sort of hold against him is the fact that you know every time he leaves a job, it seems like that defense gets better. Uh, like when he left Arizona, Todd Bowles suddenly had that defense performing at a really, really high level. Uh, but I mean, he's certainly credible. He's certainly a name that guys recognize. There were some, you know, players on Twitter and some other things that were sort of cheering that higher. The other, the other benefit is at least from uh, presumably he's going to stay in a base three, four. And if he does, he'd actually be using the same defensive line setup that they had under Petten, which is at least easier to sort of project given what they had. Uh, and then it's just going to be changing out some of the other players and, and hopefully adding to it. But, you know, the, overall, the staff's a lot, a significantly more years under their belt than the last one under Petten. I kind of like the young guy approach, but, you know, it had some obvious weaknesses, including Jim O'Neill, who somehow is a defensive coordinator again for the 49ers. I can't explain that, given what I know of him. But, you know, the Browns have a ton of guys who allegedly know what they're doing. So it's, again, it's, they have all this, the, these guys who look good and, and it's a question of, well, let's, let's get out there and prove it. So, I mean, it, you know, it looks promising. We'll see how it actually does. And then, you know, like anything else, you only go as far as your talent, talent can take you. Yeah. There's a nice note there about Jim O'Neill too. I, I saw a tweet the other day from a Bay reporter, um, where he had tried to back up O'Neal saying that the Browns never had the talent uh, for him to really succeed in Cleveland. And I was just like, this guy's out of his damn mind. Like, I mean, Cleveland has some serious talent on that defense. I mean, now they didn't play well as a, as a unit, obviously run defensive fits were just horrible um, under Petten and, and O'Neal. But um, yeah, how he got hired elsewhere is shocking and how, Pat Shermer, another former Browns coach, uh, is now tabbed as like a head coach of the future. 
I mean, I because I was in Ohio. For people who don't know, I was in uh, Northeast Ohio for uh, much of my upbringing, and so I'm a Brown supporter. I don't consider myself a fanatic, but I am a supporter, and so I I lived through a lot of those bad years. And man, Sherman was one of the worst coaches, um, really, that we've seen. I think in the last 15 years, he's he's co-tight bad to me. Legendary bad. Just, just incredible how these agents get their agenda pushed uh, to media members. It was the same thing with Bill Lazor in Miami, who uh, I had to endure that for two years. But Shermer, yeah, head coach of the future tweets, just save those. Keep those in the drafts for a while. Uh, you don't want to let those see the light of day. Um, you mentioned talent and, and kind of how the talent is going to be affected on the Browns roster by this new hire. Uh, with Jackson and obviously Horton. I, I had seen uh, Gibson, Deshaun Gibson, specifically. He was a guy that was seemed pretty excited to have Horton back in the fold. Um, Browns have a ton of free agents this offseason. They've got a lot of money to spend, though. Uh, looking around $33 million as of right now before any rollover or any uh, veteran cuts. Uh, if you don't mind, Pete, do you want to play a little cut them, re-sign them, extend franchise uh, with us oh absolutely all right awesome so obviously alex mack he's got a uh, stipulation in his contract where he can opt out after this season um what's your feel on the situation with him right now and how would you address it my understanding with the mack situation is mack's whole thing is he wants to control his own future even if he ultimately decides he wants to stay in cleveland he wants the choice he's never had in his career Joe Thomas and some of these other guys, but he is tired of losing, and he, like I said, he wants to be able to control. Uh, and at the same time, it, he takes somewhat of a risk. Now, he, he obviously broke his uh, fibula by the ankle last year, and he was still sort of recovering it from recovering from that this year. So it's interesting to see, you know, if he wants to opt out of this contract and try to sign another one. The way his contract was initially set up. It had all the makings of opt out and sign one last final contract to, to finish out his career, uh, but he's you know he's averaging something like ten million a year on this current deal, uh, and, and it, some teams may be more than happy to still pay him that uh, because he is a really really good center. Uh, so we'll we'll see. He's sort of an enigma in the fact that he I think he just wants to be able to to pick his own path and and whether that ends up in Cleveland or not is going to be interesting. Uh, so he, he's, uh, it's not, it's not as simple as I want more money or I want to win. He's, he wants to be able to be his own boss on this one and then goes, wants to go from there. How does, if you're, if you're general manager here, um, and Max says, okay, you know, I want to, I want to opt out. Are you, what's your approach with him? Because obviously with Cameron Irving, um, he was just, he was pretty much a disaster as a rookie um, didn't play center, so maybe that I don't know. Does that come into your mindset? Uh, how does Cameron Irvin play play into the situation? Because I mean, the Browns have considerable resources into that offensive line, and their first round pick really probably can't afford to keep sitting uh, more than a I mean more than maybe like a year or two more. Well, uh, with Irving, Ir- you're right. Ir- Irving was was just brutal at times this year. I give him a little bit of credit because. Uh, after about week 15, I joked that he, he could, well, I, I guess half serious, 
he he could have legitimately been put on injured reserve for a mental breakdown. It was that bad where he just was so clueless. Uh, it was it was pitiful. But he came back week 16 uh, and actually looked like a professional. He wasn't dominating by any stretch, uh, and he missed a few blocks. But he actually looked like an NFL offensive lineman. Uh, it, it's a and so you're hoping as you know as as the Browns and as a fan that that he can sort of roll that over into the offseason and really hit it hard as far as is really getting good at being a technical player as well as just simply getting stronger. From the Browns' standpoint, you have to play as if he's going to start somewhere on the line, uh, whether it's at center or guard. But I think the other part of this is is if you're you're the Browns, this is a good center class to find another guy that could – back him up and, and, and get a little, little bit of help there in case he can't do it or there's an injury or whatever. If Mac leaves, you know, Greco can technically play the pivot, uh, but I don't think he's going to be here much longer unless it's purely as a versatile backup role. He just doesn't really fit a gap scheme blocking, blocking system. He's more of a, a zone guy. He's really excelled there, and I think part of him would probably rather get cut and be able to sign a deal elsewhere for a little bit more money. Uh, so, you know, it, if Mac leaves, even if Irving starts, there's a hole in the roster there for another center. Uh, so so that would be sort of my mindset is at some point, whether it's free agency, late in the draft or, or somewhere, this is a good class to sort of need a needed a, a center with some upside. I would be approaching it, looking at looking at getting another one somewhere. Uh, another major free agent on that offensive line, and I think we're both pretty big fans of him, right tackle Mitchell Schwartz. Um, I feel like for some reason among Browns fans, he seems to be kind of embattled. Uh, I don't understand the the dislike for Mitchell Schwartz. He's probably one of the best right tackles in the game. Um, coming into his prime even, still in his mid-20s, mid-upper 20s, really perfect time to cash in for him. And the tackle, uh, the right tackle market, I should say, is kind of a market in- inefficiency. Um, mentioned this, I think, about a month ago or so. Like the top end right tackles are earning around like seven, eight million dollars a year, which is about half of what left tackles are making, which is crazy. Yep. Um, I mean, it, I'm assuming this is a very easy decision for you, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's awesome. The, the, he's he's 26. He had the best year of his life, and he's super durable. Like, if you're a, you're a team, this couldn't be easier for you. For a team that has, you know, as you mentioned, 33 million in cap. Uh, it, to me, I would I would say get him, you know, a, a six year deal, you know, 37 to 40 million, and and just be done with it. Uh, if it, assuming he's he wants to do it, he may be, you know, waiting to waiting to see where he sort of. Uh, could could look on the open market or something along those lines, but it, that would make him the top right tackle and paid right tackle in the league. Uh, I think he's worth it. I think he's 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 excellent. Uh, I think he gets a bum rap in part because people see hurries and assume this means he's bad or a lineman is bad, and they don't seem to realize that he doesn't have eyes in the back of his head and the quarterback does have eyes in the front. So especially with Josh McCown, who is really bad at this, would run himself into pressure or run himself into sacks. And Manziel, to some degree, did this too. They're going to run to their throwing hand if they if they can help it. And so that's going to be towards Schwartz's side. So there's always going to be a natural uh, inclination to be a little bit more of a pressure there. But uh, 
if you want to make the if you were ever looking to make the case for for Mitchell Schwartz and you're his agent, all you have to do is put on that Patriots Broncos game and look what Von Miller did to poor Cameron Fleming. And then you put on the tape of what Von Miller did against the Browns, which was nothing. Uh, he Schwartz did a fantastic job. Uh, and, and you go on the Raiders tape outside of like two blocks where Cleo Mack is just a stud and, and beat him. He really had a good game there, too. So, I mean, the the mistake people make is that they assume, well, you have a great left tackle. You, you can basically get, a, get along without good other linemen. Well, the obvious fix to that is if you're the other team, whether it's Pittsburgh or anyone else in this division, you're just going to put your best pass rusher against their weakest guy. So if you don't have a good right tackle, as the Browns found out with the likes of Tony Pashos on a bum leg and John St. Clair, it was just brutal. So to me, as you mentioned, it's, you know, all things considered, it's cheap to get a really good lineman. So why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, absolutely. And Oh, man, I remember those Pashos days. Uh, it was it's literally just a turnstile. Um, oh, it's, it's really impressive, though, the situation, and, and we'll get into this in a little bit, um, that what a new quarterback may walk into for the Browns. Uh, but one of those attractive pieces, another major free agent for the Browns, wide receiver Travis Benjamin. Um, I opined, I think, about like six weeks into the season, and a lot of it was projection-based, um, that he could be looking at like a Torrey Smith-type deal, um, eight, maybe $9 million per season. And part of that's because the market's flush with cap space. These guys are going to get paid uh, like we've maybe never seen before this offseason if the Derek Wolf and uh, Zach Ertz contracts were any indication. Um, what's your feeling on, on Benjamin, especially if Josh Gordon can come back? Is this a guy that you would try to make a big push for, or is he a guy that you'd probably just let walk and try to replace? No, I'd keep him, and it's and it's because I think he's a fantastic Z. He's the ultimate second guy. Uh, he's obviously got that deep speed. He got a lot better as a route runner uh, last year when he was coming off that ACL. He really had to learn how to how to create openings because his speed just wasn't there. He didn't have all the burst. Uh, he just got a lot better at sort of the technical aspects. The all issue with him is always obviously going to be the fact that he's just not a big guy and you can beat him, wear on him and beat up on him a little bit. And then, you know, the other part of that is, is the fact that, you know, w- without a true number one, you know, they could double him or they could, you know, take him away in certain respects. So if, whether it's Josh Gordon, who I'm not betting, you know, I'm not relying on at all, but, let, you know, in the event that he can play and is reliable and everything else, and he's that true X, suddenly – uh, whether it's Travis Benjamin or Gary Barnage and, and some of these other guys, the openings for them just get huge. And suddenly you have a guy who can, who can do what he did. You know, his, his big money game was Tennessee. He won that game. He had three touchdowns. He had the punt return. He had a big, a uh, couple big plays going deep. If he can get a couple of those, you know, if it's like even a half dozen on the year where he can get like a, you know, a 20 plus yard touchdown and, and then do what he sort of does anyway, then he's a huge asset and he can be sort of a game breaker for you in a way in a, in a, in a spot they really need one somebody who can make an explosive play for them they just haven't had much in the way that goes since Gordon got suspended uh, you know Benjamin the, the thing you've got to like about Benjamin is a you've he's homegrown you drafted him you sort of know what he is know who he is know what to expect uh, you've seen him sort of develop 
And the other part is he's been pretty uh, open and you know receptive to the idea he he wants to be back with Cleveland. So that's these are things that help you. And and if you're the Browns, not only do you need talent, you need talent who wants to play for you. And I don't think you can you you can afford to get rid of guys like that at least in the moment. No, I absolutely agree. I I think that you made a lot of good points. And they've got the money. You know, they've 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 built this cap space for a couple of years now. Um, it, now is the time to spend on in-house free agents. You've developed these guys. That's really the best thing that you can do for that locker room. I think is as that enthusiasm is back. Um, you really got a, a solid, a little bit more proven leader. Obviously, I'm not going to go too far as I say that, just because Hugh Jackson is, you know, not incredibly proven, but I do think you can feel pretty strong about him. Um, at least compared to Mike Pettin. I think I'm I'm with you here. I think that that's a guy you want to pay him. You want to show other players, hey, this is what we've got going on. Um, You play your butt off. You improve over the course of your early career. You're going to be rewarded for that that hard hard work and uh, and obviously dedication to the franchise if he's interested. So um, just kind of looking at the roster here, the Browns, they don't need to make many cap cuts, if any. I know you mentioned John Greco. Maybe that's a mutual decision where you kind of do him a solid if you don't see him in your plans. Um, specifically, obviously, we know as well, Dwayne Bowe is surely out the door. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think we need to really question that one too much. Um, what about a guy like Brian Hartline, uh, Randy Starks, uh, a couple of these veterans like that? Those are guys that you can cut pretty cheaply. Um, if you were to cut Hartline and Starks, you'd get $6 million in cap relief, and you'd only pay about a million and a half uh, in, in dead money that next year. Um, what's your feeling on kind of like fringe players like that? I would expect Starks to be gone. Uh, he's just – he last year, player, some players complained the Petten system was too complicated. Well, Randy Starks had a real good fix around that. He played every play like it was a pass play. So he's always trying to swim past guys, no matter what was happening, run right past him, or he'd make some great-looking sack on, on a rare occasion just because he was always going to play for it. Uh, but he, he just – if they can't they, – they need to get more help on the defensive line, particularly if they're going to stay in this base 3-4 and, and get another 5-tech, which would make him, uh, you know, a guy you could get re- expendable anyway, just get rid of him. He just doesn't add very much. I can see where they'd like to pr- maybe keep Brian Hartline because he's the closest thing to sort of a, you know, he's sort of a rah-rah guy. He's sort of a guy who is willing to lead. And and honestly, you can you can bust on him a little bit for how he played earlier in the year. But, but when he, as the season wore on, he actually got to be pretty reliable and became a guy who could move the chains for him a little bit that he broke his collarbone. So that should be interesting. I, I, you know, it wouldn't break my heart if they cut him, but I could see where they bring him back. The other guy I think that that could be gone, and and I think he sort of hinted at this with how uh, vociferous he was in hoping Petten would stay would be uh, would be Whitner. Uh, Whitner, uh, I I just don't think a he wasn't very good. He struggled a lot uh, this past year, and b the contract he signed sort of sets up so where he can they can sort of shove him to the side. It was never meant to be long-term. I know a lot of Browns fans were pissed that they signed him and didn't keep Ward. Personally, I think T.J. Ward is overrated. Uh, but as opposed to Whitner, who you can sort of get rid of now, they would still be stuck with Ward, who's overrated. 
They have Ibrahim Campbell. They probably need another strong safety behind him, but they do like what, you know, Poyer's sort of a hybrid do-everything guy. He's very useful. He's not a guy who should start. I can't emphasize that enough. But he's a very valuable role player. Uh, And then if if they keep Gibson, that that would be important. Uh, Resigning him, I think, is certainly more plausible than it looked last year. Uh, But, yeah, I, I think Whitner... Whitner's a guy who could you could see him going. Dansby staying, so they keep that that veteran leader uh, on on defense, and Dansby's still playing well. But Whitner just, I I don't think he's going to survive. And that's an that's an interesting one because they'd be taking a bit of a a, a hit there to get rid of him. Four point six million dollar dead money, uh, three point four million. Oh no, I'm sorry, that's Wayne Bowe's contract. Don't um, <laughs> <laughs> say Whitner. Actually, very similar though. Four point five million. Um, in dead money, $3.95 million, um, in cap gain. So it, it'd be a little bit of a hit there. Um, You'd basically would, be paying for a roster spot, which they can afford. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And especially in this type of draft, um, and this will kind of move us into our next um, talking point with you. Uh, this is a deep safety draft, and I think that this is a good opportunity to flush out veterans, um, especially key positions where the, it, it really is determined by the draft and, and what's going to be available at a, at a cheap price. What's kind of your take just kind of on like the, the big level here is more of like not necessarily just Browns, um, but just what you've seen from this draft class, from what you've seen in Mobile, how are you feeling about the 2016 draft class? And obviously we're three, four months early, uh, but what's kind of like your macro view of it right now? Based on what I've seen down here and, and sort of what I've seen, you know, gathered from, from this year's class, I think a lot of strength in the interior offensive line, guards and centers, tackles are a little bit iffy. But if you need an interior guy, this is a good class to get help, which is another reason they need to keep Schwartz. I don't think there's a ton of answers uh, for that. Uh, the front seven players in general, I think there's a lot of good off-ball linebackers that can help you. A lot of guys that came down here, Josh Perry left early, but he's a guy who – huge and can run uh you know joe Schobert's pretty good uh reggie raglan's obviously a big name so i mean there's a lot of a lot of good options at that level uh, corners are interesting it's going to be i don't think it's a, a great corner class but it's a good corner class as far as unheralded guys who are sort of rising to the top Tavon young has had a nice week a nice couple of days here week's not over yet but he's really looked good out of temple uh you know for a class that has some very nice players at the top and then sort of a huge drop off afterward. You, you, you're going to have to find some guys who can fill in that, that sort of second and third tier uh, of guys who can really play as opposed to these projections that are just tall guys who can, who can press a little bit or some zone corners or stuff. So a guy like Tavon Young can really help himself out receivers. Look, there's not, there's never going to be a bad receiver class. There's just too many of them. Uh, but as far as, you know, it's not the class two years ago as far as impact guys you can get, you know, early in the draft. But there's always going to be value. Uh, you're always going to be fi- able to find guys who can can help. There's just so many teams run three, three and four receiver sets where the guys never come off the field. So so many guys just get so many reps that you can find guys who can play. There's a lot of small school, smaller school guys down here. Sterling Shepard, I think, is the best receiver down here. He's just so good in terms of his footwork and and his ability to get in and out of cuts. Uh, so th- th- there's a lot of talent in that respect. Quarterbacks, 
I think is, is, a, is not a great class. I think, uh, you know, there's some guys who can be something, but that's the problem. It's a lot of quarterbacks you have to sort of try to make into something. I know you're a big golf guy and that's fine. Uh, but overall, I'm just, uh, you know, especially down here, I think Carson Wentz is obviously helping himself, but after him, it's sort of, eh, Dak Prescott may, may be pretty good. Uh, you know, there's some, there's some guys who like Coker and some of these other things. Tight ends, really weak class. Uh, that was evident down here. Although I think Nick Vanette is really, really helping himself. I think he really showed that uh, he was a little, just sort of an OJ Howard situation. They just had so many weapons at Ohio state that he didn't really get to, to, to show a lot. But I mean, at the weigh in, I never thought he was going to be 260 looking at his body. And he, he was there and had plenty of room to keep gaining weight. He can run. He knows how to catch the football. That he just he's he's got a lot of talent in that respect. Safeties are interesting. Uh, I think there's there's a good amount of talent, but it's all about finding the right fits. I think increasingly in college there are just so many different flavors of safety. Uh, it's not just box safety and deep safety. Uh, there's there's like a, a good example would be KJ Dillon from West Virginia. He's a guy who's played strong free star slot corner. Uh, you know, so some of these guys who are just super versatile players that, that you just got to find the right home for. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, I think the most fun group I've watched down here has been the uh, front seven and the offensive line for each of the groups. Uh, not a lot of finished products, but a lot of exciting talent. A lot of guys with a bunch of length. Uh, I'm a big Carl Nassib fan. I think Jihad Ward is really found a home at defensive end down here as a length athlete who was just abysmal as a three technique for, Illinois just had no business playing it. So there's, it's, it's, it's been fun. There's a lot of guys that, that uh, I think have bright futures that just aren't, aren't where they aren't where they're going to be even in three and four months. Braxton Miller, a good example. Yeah. Speaking of Braxton, I mean, he's obviously, I think stolen the show from what it, you know, just from like the outsider view following on Twitter. Uh, do you think he's been the guy that's kind of moved up the most down there in Mobile? Certainly the impression you get from, you know, scouts and, and Twitter and all that, uh, here, you know, I, I, I do a lot of work with, with receivers. Here was what I will say about Braxton Miller. Braxton Miller's body control and feet are unbelievable. And that was clear at Ohio State. Uh, he's just a phenomenal athlete, great body control. He has not figured out how what he's doing yet as far as receiver. He doesn't sort of feel it, if that makes sense and when he needs to make breaks and what works and what doesn't. The thing that makes you very excited if you're a scouter and evaluator is he doesn't know what he's doing yet and it's working. And even talking to some corners, they sort of agreed that when he figures it out and really actually, you know, really learns what he's doing, he could be really special. I've seen a couple people. I know uh, Eric Galco is one who mentioned him as, as potentially being one of their tw uh, 21st round grades for this this class, that's a little rich for my blood, but I can certainly understand where people are coming from. It seems to me that in some respects uh, that Braxton Miller is stealing a little bit of Corey Coleman's fire as far as being that super athlete guy that can, can become a weapon. And that's partly because Corey Coleman has the hernia surgery and wasn't really asked to do a lot of Baylor, but it honestly feels like at least from a buzz standpoint that, that Miller's sort of becoming that guy, that imagination guy that people are sort of 
thinking of all the ways that they could use him. Now that can be very good uh, where you get into guys like Randall Cobb. That could be very bad where you get into a situation with like Tavon Austin, who is a okay player, but certainly not worth what, what was given up to get him. Uh, certainly not the uh, game changing receiver that some made him out to be. So I'd be curious to see where he sort of ends up, but certainly the, the arrow is upward with, with Miller. I'm really just, uh, for me, as obviously I'm a Buckeye fan, um, he's been one of my favorite players to ever watch in college. Uh, I'm just really happy to see Braxton doing well. Uh, I think the the comparisons for him are really high. Um, and you mentioned, because Corey Coleman entering the season, like he was really interesting because I knew him as like a spark god. So the analytics crowd is going to go nuts for his combine. Um, if he can replicate what he did coming out of high school. And the funny part is, is I think Braxton can do something very similar, um, but at a much bigger weight and obviously yeah. a height. So Absolutely. he's like, it's just really crazy because I know there were some people really pissed off that he didn't try quarterback again. Um, but, and I had heard things coming out of Ohio state where his shoulder was legitimately so bad that Oregon and LSU had been doing a ton of back work on him and had been trying to get him to transfer. Um, but it was to the point where he, they just, they never knew if he'd be able to throw more than, you know, a handful of times a game. And we obviously never saw that at Ohio state, even though we kind of expected it every week. Um, so it's just really interesting to see kind of how his career is going. I really couldn't be happier for him. Um, excited to see what he can do at the combine as well. Um, what about Carson Wentz? I, I feel like we just we have to talk about Wentz because he he's been the guy that has seen probably the biggest hype machine at quarterback um, probably since at least since I can remember maybe Tom Savage slash like Ryan Tannehill as far as like rising in the draft going from like and and those guys were a lot different too. Savage was a guy yes. that was like not even a prospect to all of a sudden getting first-round hype, but he went in the like fourth round. Tannehill was a guy that was a mid-rounder, uh, really pushed up because of Mike Sherman's connection at Miami, obviously ended up going in the first round. Um, what have you seen from Wentz? And kind of, <laughs> we'll start with that, and then how do you feel about the top five projections with him now? Well, blame Tom Savage on Gil Brandt. Let's, let's just, that's all Gil Brandt. Uh, but, the uh, Carson Wentz, it's weird because I think the casual onlooker who's sort of turning into ESPNU uh, or whatever to watch is sort of expecting him to sort of light the world on fire because they haven't seen him. Uh, you know, maybe they watched the championship against North Dakota State, which probably wasn't the best representation of him coming off the wrist injury. So I think, you know, in the same way, he's sort of like a European basketball player. Uh Anything you get is going to be so super scrutinized that to me, I think to the casual onlooker, there's nowhere to go but down for Wentz here, uh, just from where the hype has sort of lifted him. But from a you know from a valuation standpoint, I think he's done fine. You know, the first day being a you know an FCS quarterback, you know, I was basically just hoping he wouldn't trip over his own feet type thing, because you know with so many of those smaller school guys, you just want to see them keep up and, and, you know, not make a fool of themselves in the first day. And he, 
he uh, he was more than up to up to that. Uh, the other thing that that I took away from Wentz is uh, in the three years I've, I've come, the uh, there's always a quarterback who sort of sets the tone as far as the the quarterbacks go with throws. Uh, two years ago it was Derek Carr, and then what would happen is Carr would make a throw, and he was paired with Garoppolo and David Fales. And Carr could fire the ball, and the ball came out so explosive and with a ton of velocity that as 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 practice was wore on, you saw David Fales like overthrow everything because he wanted to sort of try to keep up. He got in that sort of competitive mindset. Uh, and in this case, I think Wentz Wentz is that guy who's sort of really setting the tone. The ball just explodes out of his hand. He's got a real easy throwing motion. Uh, he does not look like he's putting a ton of effort into it. And then, uh, you know, a guy like today, I think Kevin Hogan was the guy who fell in that trap, really wanted to sort of keep up with him throw for throw. And a couple of his throws were just bad because he seemed to try to overthrow it so much it made the ball come out funny. Uh, so, you know, in the stuff you want to see in terms of that eye test, you know, that that looked good. Carson Wentz has really good feet, which isn't a surprise. He's a good athlete. Uh, looks like he's been really working to get better at it. Uh, to 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 set with more balance, to weight transfer, to just being able to quick set his feet and throw, and those uh, obnoxious orange shoes make it stand out that much more uh, from Under Armour. So you know he's to me he's he's doing exactly what he should be doing, and I, like I said, I don't think that's super impressive from from the casual fan, but at the same time he's doing exactly what you want. Like it's the same deal as if he used to throw at the combine. You know, he may throw it at the exact right spot, but it's just not not the right timing uh, with the receiver he's going to for whatever reason. Uh, but he seems to be throwing to the right spots, seems to be picking up stuff uh, well. This, you know, doesn't seem to, to get phased when he has a bad rep, which is always good. You don't want to see a guy sort of, you know, hanging their head and getting frustrated with themselves or letting a bad rep to spill over. So in those respects, I really like what I see. Uh, I'm hoping by the end of this week, it'll be a little more. He is the best guy here. I just would like to see a little bit more separation. I don't know how realistic that is from my standpoint, but you know, with, with the talk of how high he can go and considering who he's sort of going up against here, I'm hoping that it's, you know, becomes more and more clear that he's sort of the guy here uh, with obviously with Goff and Lynch unavailable. Yeah, definitely, and and I'm glad that you really recapped uh, Wentz really well. Um, it's an interesting quarterback class, man, and I know that you've talked about it a lot. I know that a lot of people are pretty down on it as far as like the top end guys, and I, I certainly respect that. Um, it's going to be fun to watch this class develop, man. Um, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a fun draft. I think it's going to be a fun draft class. Um, do you have any work coming up? here soon anywhere we can check out any of your work um for draft breakdown i'm setting up interviews which i'll do long form ones uh coming up later when guys start finishing up with uh, pro days and, and combines and stuff uh but for for the time being all basically everything i write is about the browns comes out of uh nfl spin zone awesome awesome so definitely everyone please go check out pete's work uh, you can follow him at Pete or at underscore Pete Smith underscore. Uh, and if you don't, I'm going to fight you. So make sure you follow Pete. Uh, time for me to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, th- uh, 
great combo between the two of you. I think uh, the listeners are are going to get a lot of good info from Pete. Um, so thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Pete, Pete for uh, coming on the show. It was a real pleasure having you on this week. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. And uh, Ian, any final thoughts? Not many. Uh, I'm going to be posting an article Friday on why I hate Kirk Cousins. So make sure you read that. <laughs> um, just continues my off-season trend of publishing articles on why I hate your favorite player. There you go. That's about it. And enjoy the Pro Bowl if you're going to watch it, which I probably won't. Me neither. <laughs> I don't think I've watched it in like four or five years. So, uh, again, thanks to Pete Smith for uh, for joining us this week. And uh, enjoy the rest of your time down in Mobile, Pete. Oh, always good. Good food, good people. Can't argue with it. And I really hope I'm down there next year and uh, – if I am down there next year, I'd love to run into you and have a beer with you. Sounds good. All right. So for Ian Wharton, Pete Smith, I'm Bill Rossetti. Thanks so much for listening. As always, we'll see you next time right here on GG. Next week is our big Super Bowl preview. It's hard to believe there's only one meaningful game left. So be on the lookout for that. Until next time, take care.